Hi, I'm Ian, co-founder of Dig Insights and president of Dig's innovation insights platform, Upside. Welcome to Dig In. Dig In is the place to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of innovation, research, and technology, to find inspiration from today's business and innovation leaders, and to properly dig into hot topics that matter for consumer brands right now. And when applicable, we'll bring our own research to that conversation. Today, I'm talking to Ron Tait. He's the founder and chief creative officer at Church and State. He's also a professional comedian, speaker, and author. Hi, Ron. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Ian. And hello to everybody out there who's watching and listening. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to start with something really interesting. So the name Church and State, um, can, you, can you give a quick background as to, as to the evolution of that name? Yeah, I when I started the agency, I it was called the Tight Group, and it was because for a couple of different reasons. One, I wanted to spend as little amount of time on the name as possible. I thought agency names were getting out of control, and I just wanted to focus on building the business. So that was the first thing. Second thing was I thought that there was this you know clear direct connection that I wanted to make from Ron Tight, the speaker. And given that speaking could drive biz dev, and I thought I needed to make a clear connection between that person and the agency. So it was the tight group. And then the third part was that I didn't, I didn't quite know what it was going to be. Like I actually didn't start at wanting to start an agency. I started at wanting to solve a problem. And I didn't know whether the best way to solve that problem was as a production company or as an agency or as a consultancy. And I wanted the time to figure it out. And I thought, ah, you know what? The tight group is fine. That will just allow us to become whatever the heck we need to become. And so that was the same, you know, we had that for probably three years, I think. And then as you slowly start to solve the problem, the problem that I wanted to solve was, you know, I believe brands need to be media properties and media properties need to be brands. And, um, and I wanted to find the best way to solve that problem. Once we had been doing it for three years, a couple of things became very, very clear. One, we had a very good idea of what we strategically brought to the table and that wasn't reflected in the name. Secondly, um, that uh, there were, uh, you know, other, I gave up equity to bring in other partners. So there were other key partners and players in the agency that went well beyond the tight name. And then the last part was my good friend, a guy named Neil Pazrisha, who wrote um, the book of awesome, Neil and I know each other from the speaking world. Um, and Neil, we're heading out somewhere and Neil was coming to the office and it was the tight group then. And he showed up and he goes, it's a thing. <laughs> I was like, what do, what do you mean? He's like, oh, there are like other people here. And I thought the tight group was just you like in a basement. And he, he said, you know, I don't think you're getting uh, as much credibility as you should as a speaker, because a lot of speakers are one person corporations. And I don't think you're getting the, you know, uh, the credibility as an agency because it's so tied to you. So that was the first instance like, maybe we need to rename this. And then um, another friend, Bram Warshavsky and I were having a conversation, had a conversation like a year before this time. And I said something about the notion of church and state, that the separation of church and state of advertising and editorial was no longer relevant. And it was now the unification of church and state. And it was Bram who said, that would be a great name for an agency. And I said, yeah. yeah. And so I called him later and said, I'm, I'm, I invested in something. I might use the name. Are you cool with that? And he's like, yeah. And then we didn't do it. And then a little while later, we changed the agency name based on that suggestion. So 
there was, you put you, you had a post on LinkedIn a little while ago, and uh, and you talked about you know you resigned from your position as as uh, executive creative director at your previous agency to start Type Group, which became Tricky State, mm-hmm. and uh, and then when you were hiring somebody new, basically you know they said they wanted to see the good, bad, and the ugly of somewhere of somewhere new, and you said uh, and, and at the end of your post you said every organization is messed up in some way even in the places with amazing success and culture have whispered truths and ongoing frustrations. And it's not whether there are issues in your workplace or not, it's whether it's worth it for you to be the one to try and improve them. And so I thought that was a really interesting post. I really liked it. And it made me think about, you know, when you start a company, the culture you want to form, and then that journey, and the reality is that all, as you said, all organizations end up being messed up in some way, beyond, you know, despite your best intention. So I wanted to go back to, you know, when you were first starting the tight group, and what were those mistakes at your previous agency, not to, not to name them and not to trash them, but what were the things that, about that that you said, when I start my company, it's going to be different in these ways? Yeah. So, I'll, and I should give quote to the 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 quote that that was is in that post that inspired that thinking, was from a candidate. And first of all, I, I had a couple people like, why would you help them out? Find somebody if you're resigning. Like, who are they, they're going to trust you to? And I think that says a lot about the relationship I have with the senior management there. That I wanted to set them up for success and I wanted to help them out. And I thought I knew what the creative department actually needed at the next rev of the creative department. And so I volunteered to talk to some people. And, uh, and I talked to one person and the line was, you know, when I said, I'm going to give you the good and the bad and the ugly. And he said, no agency has it figured out in this country. I just want to experience somebody else's dysfunction um, for, for, you know, uh, uh, for, for a while. And so I, I thought that um, that was such a great, his line was such great insight, right? That to be able to go into this and to say, um, you know, hey, um, I, I, I'm coming in with eyes wide open. So that's, so that's the first thing. Um, in terms of the mistakes, I think they're, um, or not the mistake, the, the things that had gone on in that, I lived, there was the moment that I decided to quit was I was shooting a spot in Montevideo, Uruguay. And I, we pulled back and we took a cruise shot. And I thought, how are we still doing this? Like we're flying halfway around the world to shoot a 30 second TV spot, most of which is a 15 second cut down. And we've got 40 people with crews and actors and South America, you know, like uh, Uruguayans and Argentinians and Canadians and everything. All this for 15 seconds uh, for a medium that no one's watching anymore. And I thought, this is nuts. There's gotta be a better way. And so that was the, the overarching, like there's just, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And, and I thought, because somebody could have challenged me in that post to say, why didn't you stick around at the other place? <laughs> You're saying you have to know when to stick around and fix it. I had been trying to fix it. And it wasn't about the agency. It was about a model and the, the network agency model. And that is that they are, by definition, they are publicly traded companies. And so they need they have a shareholder responsibility or at least a perceived shareholder responsibility. There are things that local agencies need to do. They need to pay up to the mothership uh, on year-over-year growth. Um, they need to take on global businesses, whether they're profitable or not. And so all those things. 
um, went into this decision. But I think the, the biggest one was I just wanted the ability to make the decision to whether to work this, with somebody or not. And I didn't want to go to New York to have to get approval to, to fire a client. And, and so that was the thing. I was like, I just want to figure this out. And I didn't have an answer as to what needed to be done, but I wanted the time to figure it out. And you can't figure it out when you're being pressed to deliver 15 points year over year growth to a head office in New York or Paris. And I get that, like, I'm no, nor should you when you're in that zone. Um, so that was the biggest thing for me was just to get out and to spend some time on my own, figuring out what it should be, and then having the freedom to put the places, the, some of the pieces in place to solve it. And knowing also that it wasn't the only model. It's not like there's one way to do it and I wanted to figure that way out. I just wanted to figure out another way to do it. So would you have you been successful? Like, do you feel like, can you know, the catch 22 is as you become more successful and you start to grow, then you by definition begin to have those same controls that you were trying to escape. You know, for example, I, you know, when we first started, I had the same thing. I wanted to be able to fire a client if, you know, things went wrong. And I did, you know, mm -hmm. five years ago. Uh, and then when I tried to do it again, like, you know, three years ago, it was, uh, what the fuck are you doing? You yeah. can't fire that client. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? So have you're, you been you're successful right in that? that? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, I would argue, you know, we just fired a client last year and it had potential staffing ramifications. And when we came back to the team and said, this client is not aligned with our values, we essentially gave them money back. We're like, take your 200 grand or whatever it was. And you know what? Go away. We're just not interested in furthering this, this relationship. And um we got a standing ovation from our team, even though they knew that there were some jobs on the line. So I think it, it still can be done. It's just, you, you have to know that there are, that there might be jobs on the line, you know? Um, and it's easier to do uh, when you're our size than you were when, than we, if we were the size of a, of a hold co. Um, but I think the other aspect, well, the two other aspects, one is that just having the ability to do it, I think feels good. That, that you're actually the one that's making the decision to say, nope, I'm not going to do that because of these reasons. And that's way more satisfying than being told to make a decision. So that's one thing. The second thing is, I think what is, I mean, I, I don't think I have officially done it, but I should call Bill Sharp and Tom Blackmore, the two founding partners of that previous agency, and say, I'm so sorry, because there were some decisions that you made that I was beating my head against a wall as to why you made them. And now I totally see why you made them because I have a greater view to the code of bottom line and to the people and to everything else that I just never had. I never had that perspective because it wasn't in my, um, my realm of responsibilities. But I think you begin to like, oh, this is what it's like right? to, to have to manage cash flow. It's really yeah. easy to be leader of the opposition. It's it's significantly harder to actually govern. Those epiphanies, I think, for me, were particularly painful. You know, it was sort of that middle of the night after making a hard decision. And then it's like, oh, I remember when I was so hard on the management at my previous firm. And now I'm being forced into the same position. And, it, you know, 
it's just, it's this realization that smacks you in the face. And then you also realize that your employees don't have that perspective necessarily because right. it took you having to go through it to get the perspective. And, and that's hard too, because then you look at yourself and you say, so now I'm kind of the bad guy. And so definitely decisions around, you know, expenditures, things like that. But I think even, I think even more simplistically than that is just adherence to policies, right? I mean, I, I, we, had a, we had somebody a while ago uh, get quite upset because we didn't give a good explanation as to why somebody was leaving the organization. And, and I had to say, I legally can't tell you. Have you had some of those experiences where, or can you speak to any specific experiences where you, you just had that moment of, wow, I, I, I thought I was going to be able to avoid this, but it's just, it's impossible. Certainly, you raise a great perspective on the policy um, uh, angle where I, I mean, you know, as a creative guy and the, the very notion of policies just gives me a rash um, because I think we should be a little bit more flexible than that. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. Like things like I can't tell you why this person was let go or, um, you know, kind of the, the angle of, I think just generally when the, the management of people where there are sometimes where as a, as a leader, you kind of go, are you kidding me? What I'm dealing with? Are you kidding me? I'm having to deal with this. Um, or being unable to tell the full uh, story behind a glass door review, right? Which is like, Oh yeah, I'd love to comment on this glass door review and give you my perspective, but I'd be thrown in jail. Um, <laughs> and um, I think the the biggest thing for me was being comfortable with not being liked. <laughs> you know that I just know that there are some people out there that I thought that I did well by, that I did right by, that I treated in the best way possible, and it still didn't work out. It didn't work out because it just wasn't a fit. And it doesn't say anything about them as a person. It doesn't say anything about us as an organization. It just wasn't a fit. And, and sometimes those people didn't left to live up to their side of the bargain. But of course, they're never going to, they're never going to think that they're just going to think, oh, tight did this or church and state did that. And, you know, they fired me or I quit. And those things I used to be way more sensitive about than I am now, because I know we try and do right by people. We try to do the right thing. And it's not everyone is going to agree with us. And that's totally fine. You know, the old like 1980s rom-com trope, men and women can't be friends. Yeah. Um, I, can owners and their employees be friends? Like, can they, do you feel like you can really be friends with them? Can you go out and- There is definitely a line. Uh, there is definitely a line and that again was something that I didn't realize I would have to, um, you know, establish. Um, and I think, and I think they deserve that. I think they deserve somebody who plays a, a, a credible leadership role in their lives. And I think part of that is certainly looking out for them um, as human beings and trying to be a friend in their career. Um, but at the same time, keeping a slight arm's distance so that they, the friendship doesn't, um, they don't take the, the mentorship for granted because they think it's coming from a friend. It's not coming from a friend. The whole idea like we're a family, not a family. A team that respects and trusts one another, 
but we're a, tra- a team that has uh, that holds each, each other accountable and has expectations. That's not a family, that's a team. And that's really tough because, you know, at Dig, for instance, we just had to make some hard decisions about formalizing roles as you get larger and you, your company grows up, you kind of have to do that. And you yourself had to make some pretty difficult decisions or uh, around how, how you wanted to position your own role, right? You were founder and CEO at Church and State, and then you you made yourself chief creative officer. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, that journey? I think that there is this expectation that um, when you start something that you should run it, you know, that you should be the person and you looked like, well, Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook and look, he's now the CEO. And we think that's a, that's an automatic progression for the person. And the reality is for most entrepreneurs, I think, or for many, that is not the case that I'm not a great finance person. I'm not a great operations person. I'm not a great process person. And I know after, you know, the first few years of being CEO of the type group and then church and state, that there are certain skills that I have that I'm really, really good at. And the reason I'm really good at them is because I'm really bad at other things. And so what skills are required in that CEO role? And those aren't the skills that I possess nor the skills that I'm passionate about. And so at some point it becomes like, look, is this a real thing or not? Like, is this amateur hour or are we professionals here? So for professionals, let's put a professional CEO in place and not try and pretend that Ron's just a unique or different. I remember saying that to the team at one point saying, let's just all admit I'm not your normal CEO. And I don't, that can certainly um, be advantageous sometimes to have a unique perspective as a CEO. But I just felt that my sweet spot wasn't um, setting the agency up for its finest days. And so I both took my name off the door and stepped down as CEO that, you know, it was always with the belief, you know, I'd rather own, you know, a 60% of 5X than 100% of X. Let's grow this thing so that everybody benefits. It's always great to talk to you on because I love it's it's kind of like it's therapeutic partly because I feel like you know a lot of the things I experience and we experience are the same things that you experience and you're building your company it's fast growing and so are we and and I really appreciate the really honest conversation so uh, it was great talking to you again thanks so much thanks Ian thanks for having me and thanks to everybody for listening and watching thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dig In. If you want more information about Dig Insights or Upside, please check us out on LinkedIn or at our websites at diginsights.com or upside.com. If you have any ideas for future episodes or would like to be a guest, please feel free to direct message me through the LinkedIn app.